Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome into episode 236 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations that's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined by KSR's own Stephen Peake, our trusty videographer and um, admittedly one of the most passionate Kentucky fans I have personally met. And uh, I think uh, this this situation called for bringing you in and, and uh, getting your thoughts on a very frustrating loss uh, to Arkansas here on, on Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Uh, Tip-off, 88-73 loss at Rupp Arena. Steven, first off, thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, uh, I was excited to, to get the, the call uh, earlier today to, uh, to to join you. So I got, I got everything set up here. We're a little bummed today. Now I woke up today and I was like, why do I feel so bad? I, was it because I was at Rupp Arena until, you know, 1.30 in the morning? Um, I think it was just that they, I woke up and I'm like, man, Kentucky might have just blew the chance of going to the NCAA tournament. And I thought about 
what Zach said in the rapid reaction, which was uh, he was asked uh, by Drew, have you seen a uh, NCAA tournament win since you started working at KSR? And he was very blunt answer was no, um, which made us all kind of sad. Very uncomfortable reality. Uh, coming off a six-game winning streak in the SEC, Stephen, you know, where we started to finally start to put the pieces together. We, we uh, had been so optimistic during that stretch where, yeah, you had to slip up against Kansas, but, you know, it's Kansas. You, you're, you're okay with taking a loss, a home loss, uh, where, you know, you just couldn't string together the stops there, there down the stretch. That one made sense, and, and you were still putting together the, the wins that mattered against SEC foes and it, it just made sense it was like all right we're at least starting to, to to you know figure things out the win over Florida was definitely a feel-good one started that streak with a, a road win at Tennessee so you, you kind of bookended with with some pretty impressive wins uh, and everything was kind of pointing to this game as, as a really important game for uh, for seeding reasons and uh, you know both teams on a hot streak, uh, Arkansas coming in on a four-game winning streak in the SEC, Kentucky in a, on a six-game winning streak in the SEC. Both teams kind of right there on the bubble, uh, definitely both in, but trying, you know, fighting for seeding and, and, and where they're going to be, where they're going to be located, things like that. Uh, still not a shoe-in if, if things go south to close out the regular season. It could fall out where they, they do end up out of the tournament, but uh, really big for, for seeding purposes this game unfolded and it was kind of a worst case scenario for the cats where things started out really really solid steven a, a really strong first half that for my money was one of the most entertaining that i can remember uh, in a while where you both teams were making shots high energy plays you get a block on one end and then a block on the other end uh you have one guy get dunked on on one end and then the other guy would respond with a dunk on the other end and it was just that, that feel good like man, it kind of feels like we're shaping up for a classic here at Rupp Arena. Like, you know, one of those classic, you know, John Calipari, Eric Musselman, uh, Kentucky, Arkansas rivalry battles. We were like, man, this it, it kind of feels like we're setting up for a really classic finish. And, and uh, you could kind of tell the Rupp Arena fan base that the student section was into it. The, the entire, I mean, it, it wasn't 100% sold out, but still enough to be a, a pretty significant momentum shift swinger in, in that regard. So it, it was, it was building up to an unbelievable finish and cats just out of the halftime break, just crumbled. And I mean, it was about as quick as it could possibly get. Um, uh, Arkansas scores eight quick points out of the half and really Kentucky just didn't find its footing there to close things out. So, Get, bring me back to that moment, Stephen, coming out of the half, seeing the way they responded after how strong the first half was, uh, and then just kind of crapping the bed there to, to open things and really just kind of setting the tone for the second half. Yeah, and uh, I'll be honest, I, in the first half, even when they got down by six, it, I really didn't think they were going to lose. Um, I was pretty confident, especially going into uh, into halftime. Uh, and we'll get to Damian Collins in a minute, but I, you know, it was – you know, all things considered, to only be down uh, one point, uh, I, I really liked where Kentucky was at. Uh, really frustrating, turning turning the ball over. Actually, I, I stepped aside at halftime. Uh, by the time I got back, Kentucky was down seven. I actually asked one of the blue coats. I was like, "So what? Ha-? Like, I was gone for like thirty seconds. Like, what happened?" Um, and it would happen just so fast. And and then I was I was when I had to like, okay, they're probably not going to win this game, Kentucky. And, and I was looking at this earlier, Jack, like when they get down, 
those three possessions, I mean, in the second half, like, I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that this team is capable of, of mounting a comeback. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, when they can't get stops and we'll get to that later too, but when they, when they couldn't get stops, um, you know, you're, there's no body that's like lighting it up. There was no, I mean, Antonio Reeves couldn't get open. He only took one three in the second half. There was really no hope once they got down by seven. I don't know about you, but at that point I was like, well, they're not, they're, they're not going to win this game. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest issues was, you know, we were scoring and, and, you know, Casey Wallace was kind of emerging, you know, beating them off the dribble and getting easy scoring opportunities at the rim. He emerged as, you know, kind of that star freshman McDonald's all American that we were expecting him to be in. And I just posted an article on KSR about this. Uh, it was kind of a head to head battle of McDonald's all Americans. You had Jordan Walsh and Anthony black on one side, uh, two McDonald's all Americans. And on the other, you had Chris Livingston, Casey Wallace, even Damian Collins going back the year before, as a McDonald's All-American, and I mean, technically Oscar Sheboy was as well, and uh, really the best, Arkansas's best player, uh, Nick Smith Jr. was as well, and you know, a top five-ish draft pick for for this upcoming year, so this was really setting up to be a, you know, what cream is going to rise to the top, who is going to be the star of the show, and, and kind of prove itself as that, you know, dynamic blue chip freshman, like, you know, who, who is going to be that guy, uh, you know, college basketball's young, bright star, uh, who's going to win this head-to-head matchup. And Kaysen looked to be that guy for the majority of the matchup. Uh, but then Anthony Black just took over, Stephen, and uh, really kind of proved to be that unstoppable guy that, that Kentucky just doesn't have anybody to guard. He's 6'7", long, versatile, uh, you know, big strides, quick first step, strong finisher at the rim. Uh, just a guy that, that Kentucky just didn't have anybody to shut down in the second half. Anthony Black goes for 12 points, 6 of 9 shooting. He has five steals alone uh, in the final 20 minutes. Is, the wheels just kind of fell off for the Cats on that end, making uncharacteristic mistakes. That's how they, the, the second half got started. I mean, back-to-back terrible passes that lead to breakaway dunks on the other end for Anthony Black. Uh, and then a, a, another jumper, I mean, just immediately set the tone in a really terrible way for the Cats to, to get things rolling. And then just everything from there, uh, the wheels fell off. You know, Ricky Council went for 13 in the second half. He, he had 20 overall. Um just not a whole lot going. And then you brought up the, the defensive struggles. Um, Kentucky allows 72% from the field, 18 of 25. Stephen in the second half, I mean, seven, seven missed field goals for the Razorbacks. It's just not acceptable. I mean, that that is as poor of a defensive effort uh, as I can remember in, in quite some time. I, I want to uh, share this with, with the, with the audience. I mean, this is the shot chart from the second half. I mean, 72%, it's kind of, it's probably not hard when they're layups and dunks. I mean, that it's, it's incredible. How many times did they get beat to the, to just beat to the rack? Um, it's the simple stuff that everybody's been talking about. It, it's nothing new, the pick and roll and just getting beat off the dribble. You almost wish there was some defensive scheme that would make you have to maybe shoot over it. Arkansas is not a very good three point shooting team. So I know they were four of nine last night, but, you know, they don't shoot a lot of threes. They don't typically make a lot of threes. Um, And it was frustrating when Kentucky needed stops that they just were giving up layups and dunks and not even making Arkansas earn anything. Um, They kind of got whatever they wanted. That's and, and, uh, and, you know, giving up 88 points at home, man, I, I don't, 
that's always been John Calipari's strong point has been defense. So this, that was very frustrating. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at that. 47 points allowed in the second half, Stephen, and one three-point make. I mean that that's almost that's almost hard to do. Uh, and and you look at the the deeper breakdown. I have pulled up eleven layups allowed, eight dunks allowed. So nineteen finishes just within two feet uh, for them. Uh, six second chance opportunity. Six second chance points. Uh, four offensive rebounds. Uh, I mean it, this was a straight line drive, and they scored on seventy percent of their of their possessions. Uh, in the second half. I mean, th- this is straight line drive layups and dunk opportunities at the, at the basket. This isn't, you, you know, prayers falling for them. And uh, yeah, they got, you know, one guy got super hot in the second, in the second half. I mean, this was, this was an all around beat down of simple basketball. It's just unfathomable. I mean, you had Anthony Black, 12 points, Ricky Council, 13 points uh, combined uh, eight and six for, for the two other starters. Uh, and then Jordan Walsh had six. So, I mean, this this wasn't one guy going for 20, exploding in the second half, 25 in the second half. This was an all-around effort of just a, an absolute beatdown that, that Kentucky had enough, had, had zero amp answers on the defensive side. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, we'll go ahead and, if you want, go talk about, you know, Oscar and, and Collins because that, you know, Oscar, she waves. This, was this his worst game uh, at Kentucky, you think? Man, the, the Alabama loss was really, really bad. And, and we've seen him kind of yeah. string together some really disappointing. I mean, this here most recently, I mean, two back-to-back really terrible performances for him uh, against Florida, against Colin Castleton, a, t- a player that he went for 27 twice in a row last year uh, against Florida. He goes four points, two of 14 shooting, really struggles in that area. Um, three turnovers, fouled out with five five fouls, and, and you know, he had 15 rebounds, but Seven of them came in the first four minutes. So really, when you break that and you take away that early, um, early stretch of dominance, he really was a, a zero for the rest of the game. And then he followed that up uh, with, like you said, for my money, if it's not the worst, it's one of the worst top two, top three performances for him. Seven points, three of six shooting, um, seven rebounds, uh, three steals, one block and two assists. But he had a turnover and, and, and it wasn't even necessarily um, just the the flat surface level numbers. Like if you just look at the box score, they're not, it's not a terrible box score. Uh, but when you have the expectations that he does and the, the dominance that he does, and it just kind of the, the, the way he is a magnet of attention for Kentucky and so much of what this team does and, and the way, and we'll talk about it here in a second about what John Calipari said that I just com- completely disagree with. But when he is such an important part of what you do, uh, as a team, and he's not living up to that standard, everything else around him kind of falls out of whack. And that's exactly what we saw. He was a, he was an absolute liability on the defensive end. He really struggled against uh, Arkansas's physicality and length. And we've seen him struggle against, you know, Walker Kessler last year was kind of the first example where somebody really exposed him, A, in the pick and roll, but B, uh, against size and length and it was like okay well we can go up over the top of you oscar and and that, that's an easy way of beating you uh other teams didn't really catch on to that the way i i expected them to and then we really saw that uh starting this year and teams just really starting to expose him in the pick and roll uh but it's starting to it's starting to get to the point Stephen, where 
Uh, he is a liability now on, on on defense because every team is doing that against him, and they understand that if you you know outmuscle him and you trap him and make him uncomfortable on offense, uh, he's not going to be the the super offensive threat that he's always been as well. So if you can take Oscar Sheboy out of the game, everything else kind of falls out of whack for for the Wildcats, and that's how you end up with an eighty eight seventy three uh, blowout victor blowout loss at home. Yeah, and yeah, just looking at that that box score, uh, man, Collins, eight minutes, seven points. Um, you know, and I love. Here's the one thing that I noticed about Arkansas last night that they were playing with. They were they were talking trash, uh, not just to the players but to Calipari. They were loud. Their bench was into it. Um, it's not, and it's not like they're having like just an incredible season. Like they're not. What's their what's the record in the SEC? Somebody pointed out six and five. Like they they were playing with confidence. They were playing, uh, you know, uh, they they were bringing that fight to Kentucky. Kentucky did not respond to that. I mean, when's the last time you saw like a Kentucky player kind of play with that that sort of edge that we saw from Arkansas last night? Uh, I mean, it's been quite some time. And, yeah, it's it's one thing to just get beat. It's one thing to have a guy go nuclear on you and, you know, a Brandon Miller situation, you know, somebody that just gets hot at the right time and you go, all right, well, you lose those type of games. That 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 adds up. That makes sense. It, you know, sometimes a team gets hot, like we saw against Kansas, where Kentucky just couldn't, you know, string together those stops and um, – and, and, it was a, kind of an all-in team effort. It's like, all right, well, you know, sometimes teams get hot and, you know, Rupp Arena, we see that at least once a year. And, you know, that, that's that's a common thing. But you don't ever accept not living up to, to that standard of physicality and, and coming with that fire, coming with that edge. Uh, there was a comment, uh, yeah, says Keldon had that edge and fire. You, you asked that question, when's the last time you saw somebody that br- brought that energy? Keldon was that guy and – yeah, I'm trying to think of the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm thinking like Willie Colley Stein, like pinned that guy, the Arkansas player, I think it was, and, and stared yeah. him down. You know, when it, when have you had that? And it's like, again, you know, you can say, well, you're not winning, so that's why you don't see it. But it's like Arkansas, what's, they have like this a similar record. So, you know, they're still playing like that. And it felt like they're without their two best players. Like, and, and that's something that's that's really yeah. damning about the team. They were without their two best players. Nick Smith returned to practice this week, uh, and and uh, Eric Musselman brought up today that his return is right around the corner. So, not only is Arkansas finally starting to find its footing and uh, and start playing like the team that uh, they kind of expected going into the year, they're also getting back their their absolute surefire lottery pick uh, on top of you. They lost Trevon Brazil to start the year. And that's that, you know, that was somebody that was playing extremely well for Arkansas to start the year, but they figured out ways to adjust around him. Uh, And now this Kentucky game was probably, you know, the latest example of uh, them starting to figure things out and them kind of hitting their stride at the right time. And they're about to add their best player back. So, I'm I'm pretty concerned about them coming down the stretch and, and who they could be uh, come tournament time. Got to play them this, again. Is not, this is not the response that you wanted to see from Kentucky uh, from just a straight up physicality perspective, from a fight perspective. It's one thing to get beat 
fair, you know, straight up, fair and square. But it's another thing to get beat because you didn't bring the energy, you didn't bring the uh, the, the toughness and the physicality and the mindset. That is a, that's a very very significant concern. And, and the reason I bring that up is because you know Collins comes in and he's just he's wanting to dunk on people from the free throw line, you know, and that was not a charge. That just that just wasn't a charge. It may, maybe it wasn't a block, but it wasn't a charge. I mean. But um, he comes in, dunks on somebody. Yeah, he got dunked on. But, I mean, immediately, like the next play, dunks on that guy, uh, takes off. I know he missed it, but I just love that he was – that. That's and then not only that, but he's like he can be a finesse player and step out and, and hit, you know, a mid-range jump shot at the buzzer. Um, and yet we didn't – I understand what Calipari is saying it, 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 to an extent at the end of the game. And I don't know if this is the comment you were going to talk about that Cal wanted to write it out with him and mm-hmm. um, the, I guess like I understand that if, if uh, Damian Collins is in the game and Arkansas gets a couple layups that people are like well how are you going to keep Oscar Chibay on the bench he's the you know returning national player of the year but at the same time like I don't know do you think that Kentucky fans would hold it against after what we saw from Collins if he said hey I'm going to ride out these next five minutes of the game with Damian and, and see he I saw in the first half and I was just watching it he adjusted a couple shots as well um, which would have been pretty helpful considering all the layups Arkansas was getting. And, and that's my, and, and that's a big concern of mine as well, because John Calipari opened his press conference talking about how much his team struggled defending inside and, and rim, how, how much rim protection was such an issue to start the game and, and how it kind of set the tone throughout, throughout the game. And then two questions later brings up, the Oscar Sheboy, Damian Collins dynamic where Damian, as you said, he didn't have eight blocks or, you know, it wasn't like he had the superstar block performance, but he was altering shots and his presence as a six foot 10, 46 inch vertical with a, a 70, you know, seven foot five, seven foot six wingspan. That is a threat. That's somebody that teams are afraid to shoot over because they know that he'll send your shot into the stands and, you know, that you know, Casey Wallace is a guy who has emerged as one of the best you know shot blocking guards in college basketball. Uh, you know, you have to get past him first, and then if you do happen to get past him, then you have Damian Collins waiting for you down low, who will swatch your stuff. Swatch your stuff. So it's just that fear factor inside. Teams are not afraid of Oscar Sheway right now, especially as a rim presence, as a as a uh, interior defender. They do not trust him. They do not fear him. Uh, and and it goes back to that quote. You know, you as a coach, you go with what got you there. And I wanted to, it was a bigger picture thing for Oscar than just this game. It was like, let's get him going just to get him right. Steven, since when is John Calipari the one to let one player hold you hostage? To hold this this program hostage, and, and uh, somebody brought up a a, a question in, in the chat uh, about you know can you talk about the article that came out today that said not only has Oscar not been in the gym as much, but he hasn't been around the team or the lodge either. There's a lot going into this, and I've heard you know some uncomfort things that uh, you know his personality is starting to rub people the wrong way that he's Mister we need to fight. Everybody needs to be all in. And if you're not in the gym that I'm going to call you out, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like that fake leader persona where I'm going to call you out and, you know, when you mess up, but as soon as I mess up, then all of us are messing up together. You know, it's never the, 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 the my personal accountability. It's a uh, pointing fingers, but then as soon as I mess up, then all of us have an issue. And, and uh, that is definitely something that I've heard behind the scenes that, 
you know, I think the personality and that was some of the stuff that I heard earlier on in the year with the locker room dynamic. And when, when this team was really starting to, you know, struggle in that area, that that was a, a part of it, that other guys, you know, they're struggling with their confidence. They're, you know, trying to figure things out on their own. And then you have Oscar coming in and, you know, well, I'm this, I'm, you know, put, put myself up on a, on a pedestal, you know, maybe if you fought like me, then you'll be able to, to, you know, produce in the same way. And they're like, dude, kick rocks. Like I, I'm trying to figure this out myself. Just, you know, go, go on somewhere. Like, and, and I understand that that's not something that appeals to a lot of people. And, and I, I, I understand where that tension would be coming from. And yeah, I, I do agree. I do think that is a work. It is a work ethic thing. And John Calipari was pretty blatant about it just last week or two, two weeks ago saying he has not been in the gym. It was right before the Georgia game uh, when he went nuclear for 37 and 24, he said that, that Oscar hasn't been in the gym as much. And there's a reason why he said that everything John Calipari says is calculated. Even though he goes on rants that feels like he's not making any sense. He's trying to hit all of the buzzwords about all the, 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 the things he's trying to get across in his head, because everything he wants to do is to send a message to somebody or something or a media person, or, you know, there, there's always something, a, a method to his madness. And that was definitely a method to his madness type deal talking about Oscar Sheboy's work ethic. And I go back to the Bob Huggins comments, Stephen. Remember, we were trashing Bob Huggins when Oscar Sheboy yeah. got here to Lexington because Bob Huggins was saying this is a guy that doesn't want to work. And we were like, how in the world does Oscar Sheboy not work? Because at that time he was dominating and, you know, killing everybody in his sight. That killer instinct is gone. That that extra level, that that nonstop motor that we saw that made him so lovable last season is just not there anymore. Yeah, he'll go crazy every once in a while because he's a 6'9", 265-pound freak of nature uh, who does have a high motor, and, and his worst is a lot better than everybody else's best, but he's not perfect. He's not a flawless basketball player anymore that that he kind of was last season, uh, and, and teams just aren't fearing him in the same way, and, and it's – it's troublesome, and it does have me concerned coming down the home stretch of this season how Kentucky adjusts. And I do think that the way Damian Collins was treated last night, considering what he's been through, the confidence issues that he went through, to see him finally break through in those first that, that first half and, and kind of finally start to piece together some consistent possessions and really you know make shots for the first time, it's like we're, he's finally getting there. We're finally starting to see him, you know, stack solid possessions and plays and games on top of each other. And you're going to rip that from him because Oscar is a guy that in, in Calipari's quote, you go with what got you there. It's a bigger picture thing than just this game. Let him get going just to get him right. I don't think that's fair. Cal has always been a guy that he doesn't let anybody hold you, hold him hostage in he is letting Oscar hold this this program hostage right now. I, I can't imagine if he believed that Collins could help them win that game that he wouldn't have played him. I just I, I can't believe that. Calipari knows basketball, right? I mean, he does. He you're not you don't have the success that you have if you don't understand production. Who's who who's capable of doing what? And Collins was capable of and making them adjust their shots. And Oscar wasn't. Like you said, they're not fearing that Oscar's coming behind them to block their shot when they go up for a layup. There were times when Willie Cauley-Stein and Anthony Davis didn't touch the ball 
but made them miss. And sometimes they weren't even really in the paint. It was just like you said, that fear that I got to get this off quick because, uh, you know, it's going to get swatted. Cal knows that. So I like, uh, Drew said it in the rapid reaction last night. He's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm an idiot. But what I would say is I would, I wish that we could get more than four questions. And I wish that when question, I really wish that there could be an explanation other than what that quote was. That was the, maybe an honest answer, but it was way too brief. Like this was, this was not a game you could afford to lose. So bigger picture. I mean, do you want to make the NCAA tournament, right? What good is it if you get Oscar going, but you miss out on the tournament? So I feel like, you know, I feel like fans deserve a little bit more of an explanation. We, we saw Collins play well in the Ole Miss game and then get zero minutes. We saw Reeves make six out of seven and then only get 19 minutes because he got beat on two back doors. And they won that game. But then, you know, like you said, you just, you're seeing guys get going and then, and then, you know, that, that chance ends. And it's just like, can we get an explanation? Like what, what is the reason? And considering what Damien has gone through, considering the, the work that has been put in to get him in this position, like this is, this is what we've been waiting for with Damian Collins. This is a guy that averaged 50 points a game, 40 rebounds, and 25 blocks a game in high school because he played against five foot eight kids that could barely jump. And, and you know, he's a, a freak of nature physical talent, and he had all of the physical tools that you cannot teach, but he just didn't have the physicality. He didn't have the, you know, the diet and the strength training and, and uh, all of all of those things that uh, you need to, you know, kind of turn potential into production. Uh, and we're just now starting to see that. And we just saw, like you said, it, he puts together that strong, uh, per, you know, first half against Ole Miss and you kind of starting to see him break through just a little bit. You know, it's not like he went crazy 25 points and 14 rebounds or whatever. Like it's just slow little signs of progress. And Cal says after the game, I need to, t- you know, give, Oscar Sheboy less minutes, fewer minutes for minutes for Oscar, and more minutes for Damian Collins. And then the next opportunity that you have to show that, and Damian does his part in the first half, and then you sit him the entire second half and go back to the quote of basically indirectly, I'm letting this player hold me hostage and held this pro- program hostage because he got us here to this point. So we might as well just keep trying to you know, force feed him and let that figure out. It's just, it's so against everything that John Calipari has made his identity, Uh, you know, uh, next man up. I can't hide you. You know, Jamal, Jamal Baker, uh, you know, misses a couple shots and and has some, some defensive miscues and says, sorry, buddy, you're not good enough to be here right now. Next man up. we got to have somebody else thrive in this position. Uh, We've, we've just seen time and time again, Cal, go with his gut, go with what is clearly working. But for whatever reason, he's just continuing to force feed Oscar, continuing to, to put this square peg in a round hole. And, and it's, and it's, it's actively hurting this team. And I just don't understand where this mindset came from, where he's willing to do that. Why, why is it? Yeah. Oscar's a national player of the year and the most dominant season, individual season. I have, I can remember in my lifetime for sure. I, I tweeted after the season ended, that was an individual season worthy of hanging his jersey in the rafter. And I still believe that Oscar, 
that last season was the most dominant effort I've ever seen. But that doesn't mean that you just let that happen and, and allow what he did last year to just completely erase anything that happens in the future beyond that. It's it, it there's a lot of work to be done, and it is very concerning that we we're still dealing with this. That it is February eighth right now with eight regular season games to go set or seven at this point, and you're still having lineup concerns. You're still having you know, usage and role and things like that, those concerns, it's, it, it, that doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence that this stuff is going to get fixed when it needs to get fixed. I think you're on mute. There we go. There we go. There we go. That, was, that was about to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen once, once a show. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, you guys were saying last night, this is, uh, it's February. So, you know, <laughs> running out of time, uh, you know, just a handful of games left. Um, and we'll get to the tournament resume. I know uh, a little bit and what, what you think that they are going to have to do. Uh, I think they're, well, we'll get to that in just a minute, but, uh, but you know, I, I, I we talked a little bit about some of the, the, the shooting guards uh, and man, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that like Kentucky should come down and just shoot a bunch of three point shots, and that's going to somehow like better their chances of winning. But man, like, what's the point of having CJ Frederick in the game if he's not going to shoot? I understand he pulls defense away. I understand Reeves can do the same thing. But like, um, can we get them some shots? Like, I saw Reeves make six of seven like a week ago, and he's hit one. In 40 minutes, he shot. He went a whole game without shooting. I just don't understand how that happens. I I, I really don't. And, and I'm watching the game. But yes, they're face guarding our shooters, but uh, you can't figure out a way to get them open. I mean, I I this isn't the Jody Meeks team where you just zero in on the on the one guy who can shoot the ball and you shut down the offense. Kentucky has plenty of weapons, and and the first half as they face guarded uh, CJ uh, Livingston went right around for a bucket. Top and went right around for a bucket. So, you know, yeah, they're going to keep doing that. You got to make it, make them pay for it. But um, it's just amazing that like second half, you're down, you get down by 10 points and you got Reeves and Frederick who combined for two threes apiece attempts. Um, yeah. And we, and we heard for the first time Cal addressing, I guess, kind of why CJ was struggling as much as he was. We saw him, he goes coast to coast last game finishes for an in one bucket, falls to the ground, um, and he's down for a minute and very clearly in pain. He comes up holding his rib, but he plays the rest of the game. Um, and then he plays again yesterday. Very, very much struggled, like really not a good performance for uh, for CJ, didn't score, um, just wasn't even close. Uh, yeah, I said CJ hit the side of the backboard in crunch time. He did. It was yeah. it was a really, really poor performance. Cal said after the game, uh, you know, because it is like, how do you go from finally getting your groove back, hitting three straight threes to open the game last just just one game before that 12 points. And then you follow that up with a, a, a no show. It, it made no sense in real time. And then Cal said uh, that he's dealing with a, a pretty tough rib injury and, and it's clearly a lingering issue from that fall. Uh, just a game ago. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, that that is it's concerning because this is yet another issue, another injury that CJ is going through. And it's just like, man, you are a career forty-seven percent three-point shooter, and we do need you. And and it it does help it help with spacing, and 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 defenses do have to account for you. And it does uh, just kind of change the whole dynamic having you out there. Uh, and that there there is so much value with that. But man, you got to make shots, and you got to be healthy, and. Uh, it's just it's it that does put Cal in a difficult spot about what to do with him. You know, Antonio Reeves, I don't I, I don't agree with two defensive slip ups. He got beat backdoor twice. Cal said it was five. It was tw- it was twice. Um, he gets beat backdoor twice and sits basically the entire second half. Cal says, I can't play you when you're that much of a defensive liability uh, after going for a career, a season high uh, 20, I think 27, uh, the, just the game before at Ole Miss. So that was really concerning and really just kind of frustrating with with Antonio. But that that's different. I think that that's a guy you got to play, uh, and I think you know that situation will figure itself out. But CJ is another is one where it's just like, man, you got to get him healthy. You got to get him making shots and start to put together, string together consistent games. And with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, and, and productive games, because right now that that is really, really hurting this team. And there were a couple of notes that Michael TV. Um, had on here and I want to address because I agree with some of them and I also disagree with with some and I kind of re- I'll read them all as, as kind of a, a big string he says it's not just Oscar our entire front court doesn't play well together they don't help each other when is the last time we saw our front court stifle uh, another team it's not fair to say Oscar's holding Cal hostage it's it, it's reasonable to think Cal actually wanted Oscar to get going Collins is a broomstick he cannot play significant minutes and then he said Thero should have been should have played if Frederick's ribs were that bad. That part I do agree with. I do think that that Adu does he even play on this team anymore? Is he even a scholarship player? I don't know because he continues to produce when he's in the games. He always comes in and does something right. And we've talked about it a hundred times on this show. If he makes a mistake, it is at 110 miles an hour. And at least he's showing that heart. He's showing that effort. He's gonna, you know. He's going to draw fouls. He's going to make shots. Uh, we saw um, Matt tweet out the scouting report of, of, I guess, somebody on the Arkansas staff left it out in Lexington somewhere, a 20-page breakdown uh, of this team. And on the very front page was who was a hot shooter, who you had to uh, you know zero in on, and all, all those things. CJ, Antonio were the obvious threats. Kaysen was an obvious threat. But they also had a do in there as a guy that you have to trust. And that's something like if other teams are kind of accounting for him as a, a guy that you got to keep a close eye on shooting, then that means all teams are thinking of him as that type of threat. And why are you not using that to, to your advantage? Because that's not really what he's best at, but he is elite at driving the basket, drawing fouls and, and kind of bringing forth the physicality and things like that. It's throwing something different out there. And that's the, the point that I disagreed with uh, about that comment that, that, about, you know, it's, it's reasonable to think Cal actually wanted to get Oscar going. I, I understand that. But then the next comment, comment, Collins is a broomstick. He cannot play significant minutes. But we saw him thrive in the minutes that he was getting. 
since when do we not ride the hot hand and continue to try to like, okay, well, we clearly have something going here for the first time in what seems like his entire Kentucky career. He's making that damn mid-range shot that he has missed 800 times, Steven. A guy that made yeah. those shots without with effortlessly in high school constantly. He was a face-up guy, kind of like Scalabissier with a 45-inch vertical and dunked on people's heads in high school. He was fine. He finally made those shots and it was like, okay, there, like that right there is what we've been waiting for. He finally puts together two makes in a row and then he doesn't mm-hmm. shoot another one for the rest of the game. It's little things Honestly, like that. Like, I get to those games, to these games early and I, he's my favorite guy to go watch to warm up because he's just knocking down three after three after three mid range jumper after mid range jumper. And I'm like, this is when this translates to end the game, he's got the height, he can jump, he's going to get shots off. So when, when these shots start going in, I'm like, he's going to be – this is the guy I thought – like we saw – and you saw him firsthand in the Bahamas. Like mm-hmm. I thought like this guy's going to be – will Kentucky even get a chance to have him next year? It's, I mean, that now it seems like, wow, what what a hyperbolic, crazy thing to say. But Cal called him – speaking of hyperbolic, Cal called him Kevin Durant in the Bahamas in a sit-down interview with – um, with us, uh, with the the uh, few media members there, said he does stuff in practice that is Kevin Durant like, because of that mid range pull up, because he is an alien. His arm, his body doesn't make sense at 45 inch vertical, seven foot five wingspan. The way he's able to jump and his length and the, and the athleticism that he has, and his mechanically sound jump shot. That is the difference. If he's not making the jump shot, then yeah, he is just a broomstick that you know, gets tossed around and needs to add weight and all that stuff. But if you have to account for him as a jump shooter and then you close out on him and then it creates the the roll to the basket for the space jam dunks at the rim, that's when he becomes unstoppable. And that's what, like we just kind of started seeing the little slight peak of that uh, in this last game. And then Cal went away from it because you had to force feed Oscar for what reason? Like, I know you have to get him going. This team will crumble and not do anything of substance if Oscar doesn't get going because he is Kentucky's most dominant player. But just because he is big picture Kentucky's most dominant player doesn't mean in that game he was the most dominant and that you have to continue to make something that's not working. Just like you didn't need Reeves to beat Florida after he had a six for seven game. He didn't shoot a three. He did not. After making six of seven, he didn't shoot a three. So you didn't need him that game. Maybe you didn't need Oscar that game. Why Why are you – you said it held hostage. Why are you beholden to your superstar that he has to be in? That he – I mean and, – and like he said in the post game, like we had to go to Oscar. Why? Why did you have to do that? Am I misremembering last season where Oscar got a lot of his points on putbacks and not on him posting guys up um, or even facing the basket? Like, um, I don't, I don't know, man. Like the, the, I, you know, Damian Collins for one people, um, he, he was asked, you know, how he's, he's dealt with everything. He said basketball has kind of been his outlet and, and Calipari said he lost what 16 pounds or something like that. Um, after his dad passed away. Um, and that's, ter- and I, I, you know, there was, go- we knew that there was going to be a drop off for him for a little bit. Um, that's understandable. He is, we see these little glimpses like we saw at Ole Miss and like we saw last night. And 
I'm like, that's that okay, like you that is that Kevin Durant? Like, is that that can we see more of this coming out of the half? Can we give him eight, ten minutes and just see? And I don't know, maybe let him shoot a three. See, let's just try it out. Just let's try it, you know. Um, you know, I, Calipari wants his teams to play, not to lose. He wants them to play uh, as if they have nothing to lose. So how about we, you know, why don't we have a strategy that is like that? Yeah, we, we got to play to win. You, you, you have to get Oscar going big picture long term. But there is no long term if you lose the games leading up to it while you're trying to get Oscar to break through. Like that's – or re- return back to his dominant ways. Like – if you lose these games right now, then there is no postseason for Oscar to go nuclear in. Like, like that's kind of the point. Is yeah, it's 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 finding that that fine line of you got to get him going, but you also have to win now, and so you can win later as well. So I just think that was handled very poorly, and and I, I do think that needs to get fixed. And uh, you know, Chris Livingston played unbelievably well. Finally, start to see him break through. Uh, we can't have him go out tomorrow or, or uh, this Saturday in, in Athens. You can't have him have 13 minutes and get two shot attempts and, you know, a, a four re- a four point two rebound 13 minute game. You can't do that because you have to continue to build. Uh, you have to put them in position to build, to stack impressive performance on top of impressive performance. Uh, and I just don't think that that's, that's what Cal did. Damien a disservice uh, uh, on Tuesday against Arkansas, and and it it does concern me. Um, While we're talking about tournament resume and what's coming up, and, you know, it it was a good thing going into this game, Stephen, talking about the resume and where things stand and and things like that, um, about, well, there's eight games left and six of them are quad one opportunities. That's a, a really solid way to finish and and you could put together a pretty pretty smooth resume by the season by season's end if you can continue to stack uh, you know wins on top of wins but if you're losing these games and Kentucky did not look like they were in any position to win against a quad one foe in Arkansas it has you concerned that you have quad two at Georgia this weekend and then you have three straight quad ones uh, against Mississippi State Tennessee and Florida uh, and then Auburn's right there on the cusp of being a, a quad one again. They need to to string together a couple of wins to return back to that um, to, to that realm. And then you have another quad one at Arkansas to close out this the season. What about this team right now makes you think that they're capable of stringing together those wins at, at this given moment? Like, yeah, they looked solid against Florida, and and you know, obviously looked looked apart against Tennessee, and you know, all, all that, but. The the Arkansas loss has me quite concerned about, yeah, it, it, on paper, it's a great opportunity to build a resume. But as of right now, it's also an opportunity to string together a bunch of quality losses and then potentially fight for your life as an NCAA tournament team as a whole. Yeah, um, I think uh, what they favored in, they're favored in what, two games, I think, uh, you know, they'll be, they will be favored in two games going forward. Um how many games do you think they got to win, Jack, to to where you're feeling pretty comfortable on Selection Sunday? Who, man, the, I mean, you're at 16 and eight right now. You have yeah. one single quad one win, one. 
One team that you have beaten that is an NCAA tournament team as of right now. I mean, it it's getting to the point where you almost like, and I don't know if you need to win out, but it's getting to the point where it's like, dang, man, like you need to win five of them, six, six of them, six, six of six of those seven, five or six at minimum. And that's, and that's a, a really scary position to be in. You get an SEC tournament game, maybe get a win there. Um, you know, if you can get a couple, that would be helpful. You know what? To be safe, you might want to go ahead and win the whole thing. Uh, take that auto bid. You're kind of, um, you're at that point, yeah. I mean, a couple more losses, and yeah. I mean, the only way that you're going to feel good about it on Sunday is, is if you just cut down the nets uh, in Nashville. So, um, you know, Ken, the, Palm right, Ken Palm right now projects 65% win uh, chance of winning at Georgia, 40% chance of winning uh, in Starkville, which that sucks. Like that's something, I mean, could you imagine going into the year uh, with the expectations that Kentucky had um, and then looking at the resume and where things are right now and then looking at what Ken Palm projects as three consecutive losses at Mississippi State at home uh, against Tennessee and then at Florida back to back to back. They said they, they give Kentucky a 34% chance of beating Tennessee at home and a 37% chance of beating Florida on the road. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, you asked what, you know, what would I, what would I think about that early in the season? I think I was, I was, I, I was on uh, your show um, before the season started. It might've been right after the blue white game, I think. And I mean, I was all confidence in this team. So this is, um, this might be, maybe the most disappointing Kentucky basketball season that I've ever experienced. Um, you know, there were worse seasons, I think, under uh, Billy Gillespie. And you didn't have a whole lot of hope in the last couple seasons with Tubby Smith that they could make a run or something like that. Um, but, you know, th this is the most disappointing because I really thought that this team was going, I mean, I, this what you had returning, what you had coming in, this was supposed to be, we were not supposed to be talking about this right now. Like we were not supposed to be talking about, can they win it? Can they get a win in Starkville? Can they up, get an upset in Starkville Jack and make the tournament? That's not, we weren't supposed to be like that. I, I sound so sad. I can hear it in my voice. It's not that serious. Um, first of all, but uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it's just, it, you, I could just embrace the humor of it. I did not think that you would be going to Starkville with a desperate must win game in that, they would be underdogs. Ken Palm is projecting a 19 and 12 finish for Kentucky and 10 and eight in SEC play. That's not a tournament team. That team, no. that, that is an NIT, an NIT team. And that's what the advanced analytics say about this team right now. They are objectively a bad defensive team that can't stay in front of anybody that struggles against length, that is an they're an okay offensive team that when they're making shots, they can get hot and, and go on a, on a little bit of a run, but they're not consistent at that. And they don't have the volume for their efficient three-point shooting to match what other teams have been doing to Kentucky because of how poor their defensive effort is on the other end. So 
there is just not a lot about this team right now that has you feeling warm and fuzzy about that this is going to get fixed. And it sucks because we just, before this show, before the last Source to Say episode was when Kentucky was running on a six-game winning streak, and it was because we were starting to see them stack solid performances on top of each other. And you started to see the guys that were struggling, the Jacob Toppins of the world, the, uh, you know, the guys that had been liabilities earlier in the, earlier in the season, you saw who Jacob Toppin was at Missouri and you saw him brush that off, change his whole personality. And I'm still, you know, Jacob struggled uh, against Arkansas, but he's still, you you know, not the black hole that he was before. And, and, you know, completely, uh, disengaged and and some of the issues that that we saw for him just three four weeks ago you know four weeks ago uh, or I guess maybe even five weeks ago gosh this whole season is flying by so fast but you started seeing everybody kind of not being feeling the need to be great but just just being good enough to you know string together all around performances and this was the first time that we saw a like Missouri type performance, a where where it was just like this is just inexcusable. Like you know Alabama on the road, where it's like the, the just the the effort's not even there. The South Carolina game at home, where it didn't even look like they wanted to be out there. It's just nineteen and twelve projected on Ken Palm. That's a really yeah, that right may, yeah. That may not do it. Uh, if you can get a couple wins in the SEC tournament and you go twenty one and thirteen, does that do anything different in your mind? It does because again, I was feeling good about this team a game ago because they had strung together six straight SEC wins, uh, and and all I need is consistency. This team, if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic, coming down the home stretch of this season, it's because we have seen all of the individual pieces at one certain point thrive and put up ridiculous numbers individually. We've seen Oscar Sheboy be a superstar and dominate college basketball unlike anybody else in the last 50 years. We have seen Savi Wheeler take games over. We have seen Kaysen Wallace, as we just saw, take games over. We've seen, you know, Jacob Toppin start stringing together really solid performances. We've seen all of them. Antonio Reeves, CJ Frederick, uh, you know, had, had made shots before injury and looked good against Florida and things like that. We, we, we were we've seen all of the indiv- individual pieces look good at various moments. The issue is we haven't seen them all work together as one cohesive unit very often. So will they magically be able to get that fixed by year's end? The pieces are there to make that happen. And that's typically all it takes. As we saw with the Aaron Harrison, Ju- Julius Randall year, it was the same situation. Yeah. They just didn't know how to work together. A lot of really talented pieces that had no idea how to work together and they figured it out. Um, we had similar conversations about that team as we are about this team right now. Um, so maybe they get things figured out the way that the way they did, but um, that's what has me at least slightly optimistic is the pieces are there, but what has me very pessimistic is we are now approaching February 11th. The next game is February 11th and we're still having the same questions that we had a month ago, two months ago. So if there, if you want any, uh, reason for optimism, Jack. Uh, you know, uh, I was actually I was talking with my dad today about the twenty the twenty fourteen season, and uh, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, that in twenty fourteen, they uh, they lost three of four. I didn't realize this. They lost three of four heading into the SEC tournament. Um, 
I did not realize that they were – so they lost uh, three of four. They lost four of seven going into the SEC tournament. They won two and then had a close game with Florida. But I remember going into the NCAA tournament thinking, that man, we're looking pretty good. I didn't realize they, they played really just like a couple of good games in the SEC tournament. And we're like, well, they hung in there with number one Florida. Let's see what they can do. And, they, you know, look, the 2014 run, we have to remember, was maybe the most improbable run – outside of Virginia's championship run a few years ago with just back to back to back to back crazy. I'm not going to say lucky endings, but uh, can you win three straight games on a buzzer beater and one on a, you know, Wichita state missing a, a buzzer beater like Kentucky was, you know, those are coin tosses and Kentucky won every single one of them. Um, you know, but this is a weird year. Uh, we talked about it. We've been talking about it all really all season that there's really, you know, Let's say Kentucky gets in as an eight nine, which is probably their ceiling. Would you agree with that? But going into this, had they beaten Arkansas, I could have seen a four seed. I could have seen a five. You know, really? If, if, well, it, had they beaten Arkansas, then we would have said they had won seven straight SEC games. You right. win it. You win at Georgia. You win at Mississippi State. You a toss up against Tennessee. You win at Florida. You beat Auburn. You beat Vanderbilt, and then you lose at Arkansas and then you close out the regular season with a you know uh, you know eight eight losses nine losses and like at that point you're like you know probably probably closer to five or six but uh, uh that at least at that point you would have gotten the quad one wins you got would have gotten the quality uh, you know quality wins that this resume was not having before uh, that that's why I was so optimistic going into the Arkansas game is that that, it, that was kind of the last little piece before stringing together a, a real SEC winning streak that would have had me feeling, you know, pretty good going into, in, into postseason play. But it, 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 that's what's so crazy. Like I was thinking that they could have put together a run that would have resulted in a four or five seed. And now I agree. It's like eight, nine is the seal is the ceiling on, on this team. Well, you know what? I was looking at some tournament analytics, and you don't want to be a five seed. Five seeds never never make it anyway. So eight eight nines actually uh, do better for some reason than uh, than five seeds do. So uh, is, is, let's say Kentucky gets an eight or whatever. Is there what's a one seed that you just absolutely avoid? Is it all of them, or do you see? I mean, obviously Tennessee's a beatable team for Kentucky, but they won't. I know they won't get them, but you know. And that's kind of my thing, like. We've seen we've beaten t Tennessee on the road, and they are considered a a title contender. And you know Alabama, I think the wheels just fell off late, but I still think Kentucky had the piece, you know, has the pieces to you know match up well with Alabama. The way they kind of shut down Brandon Miller early, and uh, they fought they they fought early, and then the wheels fell off. So there's not like one team, you know, Purdue is a t is a guy I don't trust them to, to ever go on a run in the NCAA tournament, but those type of bigs, Zach Eady is somebody that, um, you know, presents a very significant challenge for Oscar Sheboy, but I don't trust anybody else on their, on their roster. But um, yeah, I, I, again, there's not anybody that's un, unbeatable in college basketball right now that does have me again, if you want positives going into the, this home stretch, then that, that is one of them. So not a whole lot of positives, but a couple that you can kind of, if you're hanging on for dear life, hoping for the best, then uh, I, they're, they're still a very, very 
very select few things that that just get in. Let's get in. Well, um, we'll talk a little about the, the the tournament resume. I will say we are we talk a little bit about the SEC tournament, and I want to uh, talk about where you could be staying in the SEC tournament. Kentucky fans, we know you'll be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee, just minutes from Nashville. Discover our storied history and strong country music heritage. Indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the simplicity of our lakes, parks, and farms. Connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, County, Tennessee. Head to visitsumnertn.com to learn more. Uh, Stephen, let's uh, wrap up. We are headed to Athens this weekend, but before we go to Athens, we are making a pit stop in Atlanta for the uh, our first overtime elite experience. I, I've heard a lot of good things about it. Know that the facility is beautiful. We're going to do a little uh, facility tour and have that posted on our, our YouTube page after the fact. But uh, how excited are you for our uh, our uh, one-on-one individual tour and our, our overtime elite experience to see future Kentucky Wildcat Rob Dillingham? I'm I'm excited. Let me pull that back. I, I I'm 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 excited. I did a little bit of research on Overtime Elite. I'll be honest. Um, didn't didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, and uh, after looking into it, man, this is it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, I I can't wait to go get some uh, some footage and, and get it up on on YouTube. Because I was kind of looking at some of the stuff that other people have done there, and um, man, it's it's really cool. Uh, have you? Have, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have you been there before. You have, right? I I have not been there. Okay. Um, they they have been all about getting people in and promoting it, and uh, because they did build a gorgeous facility, and, and it's a really cool, uh, you know, idea, and it's adapting with the time because there are so many kids, Stephen, that are wanting to go straight pro and you know avoid the school, go to avoiding college, whatever, uh, but really. Aside from all that, wanting opportunities to make money. And I learned through this process that when NIL became legal, uh, that over time started putting together, you know, kind of package deals with their overtime media brand. So it's a different entity, but they partnered with the media brand to create NIL opportunities that allow these college or these these college ready so that they're still college eligible um, student athletes, they are not taking the salary option that some overtime elites, like the the, the Thompson twins, uh, took the salaried option to for their one year off leading leading up to the the NBA route. Um, that's one path you can take, or you could take the Rob Dillingham path, where if you do overtime YouTube videos and their Instagram page, and you know the little sit downs, day in the life of Rob Dillingham, and you know it's 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 things like that. Overtime, the media company pays you exclusively an NIL deal. So you're making a ton of money through a media brand that's making a ton of money while also, you know, working with NBA, former NBA players who are coaching the program right now. So getting good development, getting good training. Uh, And I've also heard that the academics are really, really strong. They have, you know, private study rooms and uh, individual instruction on campus right there, like right next to the door that the, the basketball gym is and the practice facility you go right on the other side of the wall is where you go to class and where you have individual instructors and, uh, you know, people to help you with studying and, and, you know, little individualized study rooms with all the resources and technology and all that stuff that you need. So it's a really like almost 
college prep program that really nobody else touches in, in high school basketball uh, in terms of the money-making opportunities that you have as well. Yeah, there, there might be better ac academics elsewhere, or even better basketball opportunities elsewhere, but the combination of both with the NIL opportunities, it's second to none. And I think that's what I'm really looking forward to uh, at overtime and seeing how Rob's doing down there. And uh, we get to see him play on Friday night. So we're going to have some highlights coming and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you this, Stephen. I don't know if, if you talked to Tyler or not, uh, but Rob has unfortunately um, shut down his interview process to close out the regular season. So I have been basically begging overtime to give us huh. some like a couple of minutes of like, hey, we're just going to throw you some softballs about Kentucky. We're not asking you anything personal or anything that you'd be uncomfortable with. They're asking you how excited you are to be uh, Kentucky Wildcat and playing alongside DJ Wagner and, and you know Justin Edwards and Aaron Bradshaw and Reed Shepard and you know softballs like come on we you can yeah. answer those questions it's yeah. it's not that big of a deal. you're okay. gonna be at Kentucky in six months where you're going to be answering a whole lot of hard, more difficult questions just I can't hide there. you here yeah you, I, I can't hide you here I can't unless you're Oscar <laughs> Sheway uh, and then at that point then we're gonna do whatever it takes to get you going um, so yeah. Uh, uh, any other lasting thoughts? What are your expectations? You haven't gotten to see uh, Rob Dillingham play. What are your uh, expectations going into this matchup about uh, what you're expecting to see out of him? So I'm actually uh, probably this is probably the most exciting uh, recruit that I because every time I talk to people about next year's class, it feels like almost everybody keeps saying like I'm really excited about Dillingham. I mean Wagner is exciting and and, and I really liked what I saw from Bradshaw um, last week. I really, I mean, if that kid doesn't face the basket and, and take jump shots, uh, then nobody, nobody will, uh, Kentucky, no, nobody with any height will do that. Um, but I'm really excited to see what, what Rob is, Rob can do. This is my first time seeing him. And, uh, um, I think that would check everybody off the list, right. For next year coming in. You've seen but, Dustin, you've seen DJ, you've seen Aaron, you've seen, Reed and this will be Rob. You so that this yeah. is the last one. So there we yeah, go. So yeah. So we're looking forward to that. We'll be heading down Friday for that one. Uh, so we'll have some content coming after that. Then we'll be down in Athens for the Georgia game. Uh, hoping for a win. We des desperately need that one. Michael T B asked, can Dillingham and Shepard play significant minutes next year? Dillingham's gonna have to. Like that's he's he is. Kentucky will need his production and his scoring. And I think Reed will, I, I think Reed has a role. And I've said this uh, on this show before too, that he is somebody that fits into systems really well. He doesn't thrive in like camp settings and uh, in, in individual areas where he has to go and get his own shot and, you know, kind of hunt, hunt scoring opportunities and things like that. But he does do really well in team first settings where he has to make the extra pass and, you know, hit open jump shots as, as they come to him and things like that. So I don't think he's going to be a star from day one, but I do think that he's going to have a role as a valuable bench piece on next year's team. So I, I, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying yes and no, he will have a role in this team, but I don't think it's going to be uh, as a superstar uh, for sure. Um, Steven, this was a great show. I, I appreciate you coming on and venting a little bit. I know uh, it was yeah. a difficult one, and, and we're hoping that this is a one-off and we can look back at this show in particular and go, oh, man, remember how dramatic we were in that post-Arkansas yeah. show? And, oh, uh, it was just that one little blip in the road. They went on and won. 
the last seven games of the regular season, finished uh, with a strong record and, and uh, as a six seed and won the SEC, cha- SEC championship and uh, on a fun little uh, road to uh, a run in the NCAA tournament. I- I'm hoping that's how we are, but uh, until then, I appreciate you uh, toughing it out and venting a little bit with me uh, tonight. Uh, why don't you let fans know where they can find your work? Um, well, I'm on Twitter at uh, Stephen P. KSR, but I would recommend because uh, you don't want my basketball. You don't want my basketball takes during the games. I'm, I'm too emotional, Jack. I got to I'm, I'm tweeting out, you know, every five minutes when the games are bad. So, you know, you don't want that. Go to YouTube, though. You're already here. Hit subscribe if you haven't. Uh, it would do me. It, 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 would, it would do the whole all of us a lot of good, but, but especially me, because uh, I got I'm the one in charge of all this. So uh, <laughs> please do that yeah. for me. Great content. He, he he puts together some absolute masterpieces here on the YouTube page. So uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter. Make sure you uh, follow along with his stuff uh, on the YouTube page. Great stuff, as always. You can find me personally uh, at Jack Pilgrim KSR on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on the website, uh, KentuckySportsRadio.com, on3.com, uh, and then here on the YouTube page. You can see my ugly face and and big big old head every once in a while as well and i always look forward to uh, interacting with the fans great comments tonight as always appreciate all the feedback and uh, interaction that we're getting it's starting to ramp up quite a bit every single show getting a lot of questions and comments and uh, things like that so appreciate uh, all of that but uh, until then we will be back next time uh we'll, we'll do one we'll do one at uh, the uh, overtime elite headquarters and then a post game after the uh, georgia game hopefully a very positive and uplifting one Uh, where we can uh, laugh about this one. So we will uh, see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 